Welcome back to the second part of our interview with Jason Prawl of the Human Longevity Project on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. The last time, Jason shared the dietary wisdom we can glean from the world's oldest inhabitants. Today, he'll tell us about the meaning of life for people living in the blue zones and the most surprising takeaways from his film. You can go to watch his film for free starting May 7th at nutritionheretic.com slash longlife. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. For the past year, I have been teaching uh, cooking at my kid's school. And I've had, you know, some parents kind of like in my ear, like, oh, well, you know, you know, instead of using, you know, the organic bread or what have you, you could use broccoli or blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but right now, like basically everybody was going for like the vegan option, the vegetable option, the, you yeah. know, so on. But this is the thing is we have... Uh, we have enough trouble just introducing children to real food. Yeah. I yeah. just want to cross that hurdle first. <laughs> you, know, yeah, we'll, we'll, in, you know, and we've definitely done salads, you know, but I've shown them things like how to make marshmallows from scratch, you know, like how does that happen? <laughs> how, to, right. how to make, um, uh, what did we do? Uh, we, I even showed them how to make tortillas from scratch. You know, we, we mm, pressed them cool. and all that kind of stuff. You know, we took uh, somebody donated beef bones. I made beef broth. We made a pumpkin soup with that. And then the the meat, we took it off and we made uh, a homemade teriyaki sauce with local honey. And and we, um, you know, made a, what they call a musubi, which is uh, essentially a, a, a meat sushi roll. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we did a, a beef teriyaki musubi. Uh, we've done, you know, just all these different, we, I, the kids didn't even know what a sloppy Joe was. I was like, how do you not know what a sloppy Joe is? <laughs> that might <laughs> so, be a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, we, but I showed them and, and they were like, wow. And we had like a local organic sourdough bun to put it on. So, yeah, I, I, I agree that our, our biggest hurdle right now in America, particularly, is just identifying what is a food that is was naturally fished or hunted or <laughs> otherwise gathered right, by our ancestors right. uh, because so many people are so removed there it makes it easier for them to adopt 
these um, these different, uh, let's just, for lack of a better description, radical diets um, that are, are maybe extreme diets that are very one-sided and, you know, they have to all go down this rabbit hole of, of a particular philosophy, you know, we're, we're kind of lo- losing sight of the objectives, which at the end of the day, is this something that my ancestors would have consumed? Yeah. And I think the easiest way to to think about this is to shift the whole idea in the framework is to say, how do I feed my microbiota? Yeah. That's it. That's the goal. And, and you do that through plant fibers mostly and real organic meat. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the basis of it. Um, You know, even things like butter, you know, butter Mm -hmm. was demonized for a long time. And that was a, that was wrong to do that because butter, you know, real organic raw butter is very healthy. Uh, if the cow is healthy and it's, you know, and it's grown or raised in a natural way. But now you have these people saying, okay, well, butter's healthy now, so I'm going to eat a stick of butter. Yeah. Well, that's not healthy either because, you know, we have to understand that that's going to cause dysbiosis and disruption in the gut and the, and the microbiota. So if we just step back for a second and say, how do I feed my microbiota? And you want to do that through a variety of plant foods, real organic, you know, some of them raw, some of them cooked. Um, you know, then this whole carb notion goes out the window because carbs all of a sudden are really healthy because they're feeding microbiota. Right. Um, vegetables and fruits are both back in the game. Fruits are fantastic for the microbiota. Um, you know, consuming a little bit of meat is great, but too much and going to this sort of weird, odd paleo diet where you're eating nothing but bacon all day is uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Again. So it just frames the whole discussion, I think, in a little bit more of a, a normal light. And so that's really where I'd like people to start thinking about and, and, and making their decisions. Okay, is this thing going to feed my microbiota or is it going to harm the microbiota? And if right. it's processed, contains chemicals, uh, you know, these type of things, then you should, uh, you should know that that's probably going to harm the microbiota. If it's organic, if it's real, if it's whole, you know, um, and if it's mostly a plant-based thing, with a little bit of meat and a little bit of fats here and there, then that's probably where you want to stay. And adjusting accordingly based on how you feel uh, is really the way to go. And, the, and one of the best things you can do is just check your stool, right? So there's something called the Bristol stool chart. And yes. um, you know when you're pooping good, right? You know when you're pooping bad, right? Is, is it runny? Is it constipated? Is it, you know, what is it? And you can tell. I mean, this isn't rocket surgery, right? Um, uh, of course, and, you have to realize that some doctors are telling people this is totally normal. They're oh, saying that this is this is where they decide that you're an individual. Like, oh, you haven't pooped in a week? That's just you. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's, it's right. perfectly normal for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's well, see, and that's the thing. It's common. It's just not normal, right? right. We should exactly. we should be pooping normal, uh, and and that's that's where the Bristol stool chart can come into play. But also, how do you feel? You know, do you feel lethargic? Do you are you you know cloudy? Or, you know, how do you feel? Um, so so going back to that, really making decisions based on on that stuff, but kind of going to your kid your kid point, um, I think one of the coolest things you can do as a parent, especially if you have younger children, is to um, just plant some food with your children in your backyard or in a, like I said in a flower pot or in a whiskey barrel or whatever, and give them some carrot seeds or you know what have you, and w- let them just plant those things and water them and care for them. And then as they sprout, your kids are going to go, oh, wow, that's mine. You know, that's my, those are my carrots. And then they're going to see them grow bigger. And then they're going to understand how much to water them and how often to water them. And they're going to have this invested emotion into this, this food now. And then your your child may not, may hate carrots, but now when they see them, that they grew that, 
and they know how long that took. All of a sudden, there's a different relationship there. Yeah. And this is how I think we can get kids back into eating healthy and eating normal because they understand how, and have a different relationship with food. When they pull something out of a freezer in a package, pop it in a microwave, I mean, that's like comparing apples to pencils. I mean, it's just not even the same thing, right? I mean, you can't – a hot pocket out of a freezer into a microwave is not even close to you know, growing a, a cucumber off a vine in your backyard. For sure. uh, it's so different. So, so again, and, and why would a child know the difference? They have to be taught this stuff, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is our job as adults, as, as, as parents, as teachers, as educators, as, as a society to teach our kids. And we failed to do that. You know, my parents' generation failed to do that. My parents, uh, their parents' generation f- failed to do it as well. And we are continuing to fail uh, to, to a large degree. So we have to, it's incumbent upon us as adults to teach the younger generations how to live in harmony with nature. And as we do this, then things can change. It's not good enough to, to do it ourselves and, and not share it with the rest of the world, right? So this is why your podcast, you know, and these things are so important because we need to share this information and bring back this understanding. Um, and as we do that, things will radically shift so fast. It's, it's almost laughable, right? I mean, this is the tipping point idea that you just need a certain small percentage of the population, you know, 3% and, and the tide starts to turn. Yes. So I think we're in that stage of sort of early adoption and, uh, and it, it's going to change. I'm confident, um, but uh, we, we still have a long way to go. So we need to keep pushing. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the Human Longevity Project is actually, there's so much overlap between that and the telesummit that I just put on called Frenching Your Food, which is about the how the French eat, right? Because we yeah. always hear the same kind of thing. Oh, they just drink red wine. Okay, yeah, paradox, you know, that, right? that, that miraculously just balances out all the foie gras and, <laughs> you know, pâtés and cheese, right? So, okay. but, uh, you know, the, the, the crux of it is that we, you know, yeah, this, this over, overly simplified diet that we're told that the French follow. Uh, but I've lived in France. Most of my friends are French. You know, I've always had you know, very close relations with people from France. And they were always telling me things that were very different from this, you know, very calorie counting, low fat, uh, you know, low carb, low this, low that diet philosophy that we get bogged down with and 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 by the way none of my french friends love to exercise <laughs> they, they no. all they all hate exercise they'll walk but they're like sweat and like what are you crazy like i, I don't like it well but, none, none of the places that we went when in these longevity areas they didn't none of them exercised right they worked they walked but they yep. didn't exercise right they garden they hike maybe you know it's, it's, it's yeah they do hard work you know but they don't exercise exactly and um and so this is what my my french friends are are telling me what do you think um when people watch your film what do you think they will come away with as one of the more or maybe a few of the more surprising features of longevity of the you know the some of the the contributors that you've identified towards longevity yeah, well, I think th- this is the first thing, um, even though it's called the Human Longevity Project, in the first episode, we actually sort of debunked this idea of longevity as a, as a quality or as a, as, a, as a metric we should care about. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. You know, because who cares if you live to 150, if you hate yourself, you're poisoning the planet, you can't even walk. Right. Right? Uh, exactly. You can't think. That's stupid. Uh, so what we're all after is a quality of life and happiness, really. That's kind of what we're after. And so, um, so we sort of get into the philosophy of longevity. So I think hopefully we catch people off guard there and set the stage a little bit in terms of what we should be really focused on, which is 
um, you know, being happy. And, uh, and if we do that, then, then living a big or a good life can be much more impactful than living a long life just, just for the number of years. But I think, you know, we, we try to provide a, a fundamental foundational framework for everybody um, to understand what health is, where it comes from, that it's innate. It's already built within you. You know, you don't have to go chase it or buy it or learn it. It's already there. You know, a seed contains the blueprint for the tree. It doesn't have to be coached. It doesn't have to pick up tools and skill sets. It just it needs the environment and it just does its thing. So it's the same thing with us. It's already built within us. We just have to let it go. We have to let let that get out of the way to some degree. And so um, we, we get back to the fundamentals and we talk about things like circadian biology. Um, and m- many people may not have heard that term, but chronobiology or circadian rhythm. You know, I mean, there was a Nobel Prize awarded for this in 2017 for the study of circadian biology. The fact that our body runs on rhythms. So we get into that and understand the importance of that, and how to how to optimize that. And this is easy stuff. You know, it's just you, most of us aren't taught this. And so, um, you know, we get into that. It's a pretty big one. Um, you know, purpose and connection and community, uh, a very fundamental one. Slowing down, um, you know, uh, electromagnetic fields. Uh, it's a very uh, controversial one right now. But, um, you know, it's very clear that nobody prior to, you know, basically 1950 ever saw foreign electromagnetic fields, mm-hmm. uh, let alone in the, in the, in the, the sort of density and the, in the uh, intensity that we see now with cell phones and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So we have to explore that and where that's going. Um, I think people will be very, you know, we cover toxins, you know, things like chemicals and, and pesticides and metals and these things, which I think many people are aware of now, but we, we get into the, the impacts there and how ubiquitous um, from a health perspective those are. Um, you know, we break down diet. You know, we, that's a big one. We talk about diet and how these people all around the world eat all kinds of different foods, including meats and cheeses and breads and, uh, you know, all these type of things. So we have to we have to debunk a lot of that. Um, childbirthing. I think this is what's often forgotten mm, in yeah. the longevity space. People start looking at longevity from the age of 30 on. I would argue that the most important thing for longevity and optimal health happens between preconception and 20 years old. Yep. This is when childhood trauma occurs, you mm-hmm. know, ages of mostly zero and five or so. Um, this is where we see you know, breastfeeding and natural birthing and the microbiota starting to, to be developed. And uh, this is important. So the fact that we're overlooking this um, is sort of laughable when it comes to longevity. So these are the things that we look at. We look at preconception to, to elderly care. And we look at the whole spectrum and try to figure out all these lifestyle factors. And the cool thing is, is I, really when we set out to make this film, I wanted it to make it empowering and I wanted to make it practical. So we wanted to give people practical takeaways and we wanted to empower them so that they could take back their own health and they don't need special doctors and you know, even people like you and me. Right. right? We're, just, we're just here as a voice, as an educator, as somebody, you know, people pointing in the right direction. But no, look, I work with a lot of people. I don't heal anybody. You know? mm-hmm. Their body heals. Yes. This, is what, this is the truth. And we are just guides, you know, hoping to sort of point people in the right direction and be there for support and facilitate the, 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 the healing. But the healing takes place at the, at the level of the body. So this is the reality. And so that, that was really the goal, um, to empower people to uh, get, break it down to the fundamentals, to get into some of the deep science. So if you're a science nerd, um, we explain a lot of this stuff and it gets pretty geeky. But the takeaway is very simple. You know, um, for, for example, circadian biology, right? You may not have heard this term or maybe you have. Simple things, going outside in the morning, getting sun in your eyes and on your skin, and avoiding artificial fake light at night. Mm-hmm. So you, you do those two things, and your 
circadian rhythm or your biological rhythms will, will become reset. You know, it's very simple. Now, we can explain, like I said, the 2017 Nobel Prize was awarded for chronobiology. So it's very, very complex science. So we can go deep on that. But the takeaway is very simple. So uh, I think we just need to explain how powerful a lot of the simple things are. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we start to place more emphasis on the importance of them. I was just going to say that marketing has has so hijacked <laughs> our oh, yeah. our um, belief in the strength of the, the human body and the resilience of the human body. Uh, and, uh, and, and really, it's the mind, right? The right. mind literally controls the body. But but I would I would 100% agree with you with your, with your premise, which is that the body is miraculous. Yes. And and if we if we allow the mind to allow the body to do what it can do, it's like. I mean, this is where spontaneous healing actually happens. And we know this because the placebo effect is very, very real. And it's been studied ad nauseum. <laughs> the, the, the entire pharmaceutical industry is built on that, right? <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so this is the power that you hold. But, you know, if, and if you don't want to accept it, that's okay. You know, there's no judgment. But if you want it, it's there. And that's our goal is to try to promote it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and again, there are so many par parallels because we do talk a little bit about like sleep patterns, for example, during the summit. You know, we're talking about these things that people don't think of when they think of like, I want to lose some weight. Well, get to bed on time. You know, like this is the powerful your... thing you can do. Right, one of the most powerful things. You know, and so there's we're, we're again we we become technicians of things without fully uh, grasping just the the many different areas involved in achieving this. Now, yep. in in the case of your film, how like how do, how do you help people get to where they want or or you know, plant you're planting these seeds, let's say, but without getting them totally neurotic and turning this into the new religion. Well, it's it's really simple, honestly. Um and and we've we've had a, a number of people watch this film so far and the, the feedback's been truly amazing. Um like it's sort of to the point where it's very humbling. You know, when you make something like this, you're not sure how people are gonna respond. Yeah. It, you know, do we make it too scientific? Is it easy to understand? Are people gonna reject this? Do they whatever, you know, and you don't know. And it's been overwhelming. Um and people have, have really taken it in and saying, you know what, this makes so much sense. Finally I feel like I have the understanding. Mm -hmm. And and I think it just empowers people. I think for so long, our industry in the health field has done so much disservice in terms of disempowering people. You need to buy my book in order to be healthy. You need to avoid sugars in order to be healthy. You need to avoid fats. You know, we're, we're basically disempowering people mm -hmm. with all these crazy micro messages. And really, our goal is to say, F all that. And I can prove it because there's all these people around the world and we're talking to them. So the, our film includes the interviews from these 96-year-olds and 104-year-olds, and they're telling you their lifestyle. They're telling you what, how they grew up. They're telling you this stuff. And so when you have a 104-year-old tell you something like, you know, uh, the most powerful thing I can tell you for your health is to hold no grudges and maintain good relationships with those around you, and then you have a researcher say the same thing, I'm sorry, if you don't want to listen to that, that's okay, but like, <laughs> that's pretty powerful, you know? To, to, right. to hear somebody's experienced it, and and multiple people said that by the way, multiple centenarians said that. You know, people in their nineties and hundreds yeah. said that relationships were the most powerful thing. And then you have research now showing so, showing social genomics is the thing that having no friends is more of a detriment to your health than smoking. Mm -hmm. We have research now, yeah. so you know, all of a sudden it, it's not it's not isn't hard. So uh, w the takeaway is okay. I need to forgive people. 
I need to have compassion for people. I need to let go of bad relationships. I need to foster good relationships. I just change my focus. That's going to add 12 years to my life or whatever. That was easy, yeah. right? So this isn't hard stuff. We just have to realize what's important today. So right. I think this is this is the point is to to show people what's important. Right, it's right. not it's not important to go vegan and think that you, all your problems are going to be solved. The important thing is okay, fix your relationships, get to mm-hmm. bed on time, go outside, touch the earth, slow down, simplify, and all of a sudden these are very doable things. Right, right. right. This is not you know you don't have to pay millions of dollars for this. You don't have you don't have to live anywhere special. You just have to implement the lifestyle things. Fix your mindset, you know, fix your, your emotional states, you know, focus. I don't say fix it like it's easy, but right. at least at least change your focus. And if we can change our focus to the things that actually matter, then all of a sudden this mystery of health doesn't have to be such a, you know, enigma. It can be very, very simple. Right. I, I don't know if you've read a book called In Praise of Slowness, um, but it's... I haven't. All, I haven't. It's, uh, I forget the name of Carlos something wrote the book, <laughs> but uh, he went to several countries around the world, Japan, Italy, so on. He went to like slow cities and, you know, tantric sex and like all of these different ways that people are trying to slow down in their mm-hmm. lives. And, um, you know, it was just really what you're saying is reminding me of that because at its foundation what we're seeing what he's talking about is like life has just gotten too freaking fast you know and there's like kids in japan committing suicide because they don't get the right grades you know like yeah we're we're putting so much stress on ourselves in modern life and so he's (laughs) just talking about like look at all these different ways like everyone on the planet is trying to slow life down again yeah and and it actually gets this is what we talk about in the first episode in the philosophy of longevity which is i'm 37 if my focus is on making it to 120, I'm doing it wrong. Right. My focus should be on how do I extract the most joy and take advantage of right now? Yeah. Not next week, not tomorrow, not when I'm 50, not when I'm 120. How do I enjoy today? Mm-hmm. This is what these people are doing. They're not thinking about, when, you know, when I talked to a 105-year-old, at 46, he was not thinking, how do I make it to 105? Right. He was simply operating in his daily environment and enjoying as much as he can. I mean, this is the, the recipe is the, the same. The religious texts, the spiritual texts, these people in, in shamanistic cultures and uh, all around the world have been saying the same thing for a long time. We just don't listen. It's, it's <laughs> the just, power of now. <laughs> exactly. Just stop with the nonsense and just enjoy now, right? And, I, and I, I'm not saying that because I've mastered this, this understanding of this technique, but, but at least the awareness starts to come. You know, and if we would build awareness around how do I enjoy now, then who cares about, you know, how old I get? Um, that's not the point, you know, because if you, if you live to 120 and you never enjoyed a day, I mean, I don't understand that. I, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So the point of life is not to live a long time. The point of life is not to even be happy. Right. Um, I think we, we have to understand that the point of life is to. And I guess this is where I would impart my my opinion. <laughs> because yeah. The point of life is a very big discussion, but I think it's to experience, pure and simple, mm-hmm. to experience. Um, and that's all I, I can say. You know, uh, you decide your happiness. I think it's you know the Buddha and the Buddhist tradition would say that their suffering exists everywhere and all the time. Yeah, this is reality. Where suffering is a reality, but. Um, so to, to, to think that we can go through life without suffering, I think, is probably a little ignorant. But I think if we just accept the experience, 
um, then we can really step into what life is about. And that, in my opinion, comes down to actually paying attention and being mindful of the experience. Mm. So when you're, you know, when, when you break up with somebody and your heart is broken or somebody passes away and your heart is broken, are you running from that feeling, you know, because you don't like it? Or are you sitting within it and go, whoa, you know, this is really heavy. I feel really, I feel a certain way, right? And, and when something amazing happens, you know, uh, you're, you're laying next to your loved one in bed in the morning and you're, you're actually there and you're saying how lucky you are. You know, this is amazing. This is, all, this is what I've always wanted. Yeah. You know, this type of thing. You know, so I think it's just a matter of, or when you're eating that cupcake where that's full of gluten and sugar and processed crap and you're eating it and you're going, man, this is really tasty. I really do enjoy this cupcake and that's yeah. okay. Right. right. It's a different thing than going, oh, my God, I know I shouldn't be eating this cupcake. This is full of gluten. And oh, man, it's going to go straight to my hips and I shouldn't be doing this. I really sh- I, so I told myself I wasn't going to do this. I hate this. Exactly. Right. <laughs> very, very different. And, then, and then you eat six. <laughs> and then, you, then you just go from down like it like, you know, you're having sex and with somebody yourself. in the back alley. Right. You just... <laughs> and you hate yourself and you go to the gym and you punish yourself yeah. because, you know, you need to work that very, very different experience than sitting down going, wow, this this process hostess cupcake actually is really good and I'm really enjoying this. So yeah. that's the difference, right? right? And so you get out of this whole what's right and what's wrong and you just start to experience and enjoy the experience. And I think that's really the key of this right. whole thing. Right. Absolutely. I again, so many parallels between the between our both of our, you know, where we're coming from um uh with regards to this. Now what is, uh, I think this is going to be my last question, but I have a habit of saying that and then asking like six <laughs> more, um, because we're going to head towards two hours soon. Uh, <laughs> so what would you say are some of the steps, uh, that people who don't have a community and don't have the loved one, you know, how can they start to foster that? Because I think that is in our modern world with, I, I used to live in New Jersey, which is notorious for, you know, just that suburban sprawl. And I don't mm. even know who the hell my neighbors were when I lived there. I knew one family that lived behind me and I hardly saw them. Yeah, I was like totally a fish out of water. I moved to Hawaii. I'm in this small town in the, not tiny, but you know, fairly small town in the, in the North of the Island. And, um, I feel like I'm finally part of something I haven't had since. I mean, I I'll put it this way. Growing up in the Bronx, I, yeah. I felt more connected to my neighbors than I ever did in New Jersey. Yep. And yep. that's because in, you know, in cities, yeah, especially back in the 70s, we had like, you know, block parties and, you know, we played with the kids next door. And there was a lot of that going on. We had sidewalks for crying out loud. We didn't have that in New Jersey. Well, so, and, and, and did you grow up in a poor environment, like a more rough? Or, yeah, not or, like not like South Bronx, <laughs> you know, not no. not like but not like they want to make a movie out of it kind of Bronx, but yeah, yeah but it was definitely not, you know, we weren't we weren't living high on the hog. Well, and I, and I say that because I kind of grew up in sort of a poor environment, right? right. Um, and so what I noticed in that environment was that sort of because we were we were suffering, you know, we weren't like you know, I mean, but we were poor, you know, yes, and exactly. uh, and yet I remember playing with lots of neighborhood kids, and there was lots of you know, there's more community in that sort of setting. And I don't know why that is necessarily, but it just seemed to be the case. And, um, and so I, I, that's the only reason I asked that, but, Mm -hmm. but I think more to your question, I think the first thing, if you want to try to find community, I think, I think doing, you did the extremely brave. Um, and I think it's, you get rewarded when you do brave things, um, which is that you picked up and moved and said, you know what, this is not where I belong. And I want to go find a place that 
that resonates with me and I'm going to go live there. And I don't know what that's going to bring, but I'm going to do it. Um, I think that is super powerful because you are taking matters into your own hands and making a decision as opposed to saying, oh, well, my environment sucks and I don't like it here. Yeah. Right. So if we if we become the victim and we step into step into a sort of victim consciousness, then we, everything that comes at us will keep us locked in that state of being a victim. For sure. Whereas if we and take power and control of that situation um, and decide to do something, then we tend to get rewarded. Um, and so I think, yes, you can absolutely change your circumstances and it may not be easy. But like I said, I think the universe tends to reward that bravery. So I think that's one one way to do it. The other way to do it is figure out what your purpose is. Figure out what you enjoy. Figure out what you like doing and do that stuff. So, okay, I'm in San Diego area, Carlsbad. I don't particularly enjoy surfing, but let's say I, I did. Let's say that was my thing. Well, the more I would go and do the thing I love, which might be surfing, the more I would find people that are surfers. Right. And uh, might be a surf club, might be the surf shop, might be whatever, or might be just just some dudes I go meet at the beach. Right. So now I find my community in that thing that I enjoy. Now, let's say I said, oh, I'm going to pick up a new skill like the violin. So I buy a violin or I pick up uh, one use off of uh, Craigslist or something and I start playing the violin and I go to the violin store. And I talk to the guy and say, hey, you know, what kind of what should I do and how do you do this and what, what do you think about this? And um, then I look at this place and I have this violin meetup, you know, that I go to and I start playing violin with other people. You know, and these are the things, right? Yeah. If you enjoy yoga, go to the yoga classes. If you do, if you want to pick up Tai Chi, go to Tai Chi. I mean, there's lots of free things. If you play softball, go, you can find your community in the things that you love. Right. And I think because our environment does not foster community naturally, like we used to in village type settings, we, we may have to go outside of that setting to go find the community that we feel like we belong in. And so, again, if we if we don't, if we step into this sort of victim consciousness and say, you know, oh, my life sucks, um, then, yeah, you're going to kind of be in that scenario. But if you kind of step up and take take back your power and go do the things and be brave, and sometimes being brave is very simple, just talking to somebody <laughs> at a local coffee shop, right? Yeah. Um, we find that, that that tends to be a brave thing these days. Um, it's just the, that type of thing. Go to the farmer's market, a uh, very good place to meet people. Uh, go to your local co-op. And go into the herb section. Hey, uh, you know, I, I want to improve my kidney health. What do you What do you uh, recommend? You know, and these people are like, all they want to do is share their knowledge of herbs. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So happy to tell you, you know, to take this herb. So these are the type of things, and it's very, very simple. Have conversations, find mutual connections, and you start doing that, and, and the communities start to sprout out of nowhere. You know, we can use social media to sort of foster community. I wouldn't say. That that's your, should be your only community, but you can use that as a tool to develop community. Right. So, you know, this is simple stuff. We just have to go back to some of the most basic aspects of this. And um, I think finding the things that you enjoy or your purpose um, or donating your time or your whatever, I think this is such an easy way. You know, go to a community house build, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you, you never know who you're going to find. What I've noticed about life is that when you do things that, again, sort of, require bravery or kind of you stepping out of your comfort zone, um, really amazing things happen. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you one quick example of this that you can relate to, which is I started a podcast like, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I didn't know how to start. I was not really savvy in the sort of media broadcasting space. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'm going to start a podcast. And so I did. And then I, I won't go into the details, but because of that, I met certain people and certain opportunities came my way 
because I just started that podcast and it snowballed into these really weird string of events that led me to where I'm now. And I left the podcast behind and I recognized that I didn't need to continue it. That that was the purpose was to actually meet these people and do these other things. So, you know, it was like, wow, all because I said, screw it one day and I'm just going to do this. Yeah. You know, I didn't ask why I didn't analyze it. I didn't, you know, there was no grand vision. It's just like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do it. And I did it. Right. And it turned into amazing things. So I think you just have to get out of your comfort zone, find the things you enjoy, follow your heart and good things start to happen. And the community will naturally kind of percolate up. Right. And, you know, the thing you said about the farmer's market really struck a chord with me because uh, I've only been here for four years now. And my dad came to visit last year and we took, I took him to the farmer's market. We've got like four on Saturday, another one on Sunday, another one on Wednesday. I mean, we've got like this just for the small town. <laughs> we've got so many farmer's markets. And uh, he went, when we got back from the first farmer's market, he's like, why don't you just run for mayor? Yeah. So you, he's like, you know, everybody. In town. <laughs> and it's, yeah. And it's, and, and my husband jokes about it too, because, you know, just going to the markets, talking to the vendors, you know, finding out what their families are like and, you know, what's, what's in season. What's, you know, did you pick this? Did this come from Oahu or, uh, you know, oh no, it came from my neighbor or, oh, are these the really good blah, blah, blah that comes from such and such, you know, like you just develop this rapport with people and they become part of, of your um, of your community, you know, they co- become yeah. part of, um, you know, your Ohana, your family. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, your larger family, so to speak. Uh, and you didn't have to try, right? You no. Just, you did the things that were natural and that you wanted to do. Exactly. And and I was going to say, to take that a step further, everywhere I have traveled, I have also sought out the same kinds of foods I try to eat at home. So I end up at the farmer's markets. I end up stopping when I see, you know, a, old lady's hand-painted sign for vino at her house, you know, and I show up with my empty water bottle. Like, can you fill this granny? Um, you know, like all of these things give you such a different appreciation for your environment, no matter where you are. So even if you leave the comfort of your, you know, your locale, where you were born or where you live normally and you go on vacation and you start saying like, Hmm, I mean, food just brings people together. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why we, I think that's one of the reasons why people do focus on the dietary more than the, than the relationships because they don't realize that those two things play together. Right. Uh, but naturally that's what happens. I mean, you talked about that uh, an hour and 45 minutes ago when we started, uh, <laughs> where, you know, the, 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 it's the context, it's the historical context of us eating these foods in the company of loved ones, playing a game of dominoes, uh, you know, relaxing, maybe taking a nap, you know, somebody might turn on the TV, somebody might turn on the radio, you know, playing cards, whatever it is. But these are, you know, it's not, oh, I'm going to eat this, you know, politically correct, whatever meal as fast as I can so I can get back to work. That's not right. And, that's, and when that's we, were, we were going and interviewing these people, um, you know, in Greece and in Costa Rica, you know, we'd, we'd interview them. And first of all, it was really interesting that when we'd knock on the door, quote unquote, um, you know, it's not like we had an appointment. We didn't send an email in advance. You know, these were like 92 year olds and we were <laughs> going through locals and translators and, hey, do you know anybody? Right. And they said, oh, yeah, this person over here. Um, and so we knock on the door basically and say, hey, here we are. Can, you know, can we interview you right now? You know, this type of thing. And almost always they're very welcoming. They're saying, yes, come on in. And we'd interview them. And then um, like for probably half of them, they, they 
not only invited, but they insisted that we stay for some sort of meal or something. Right. And they, they, they gave us a meal and, and, and we enjoyed food together. And they didn't ask, you know, what we like and, you know, do we have any food intolerances? Right. <laughs> they just made, they brought the meal, right? And so, um, you know, I, I think you're right. And I think we saw this firsthand. We experienced this where people just, they want to share food with you. And it's a way that you can sit down and slow down and communicate and enjoy. Uh, it's a common thing that we all share, which is this love for food yeah. um, and this appreciation for food. So it's just an easy way to foster community and foster conversation and connection. Right, right. And so, and, you know, just to kind of go back to a lot of what we talked about then, you know, now in America, we've made it so difficult for people to reach out with food because yeah. it's, you know, like, oh, come over for Thanksgiving. Well, are you going to have something that's gluten free for me? Right. Bring your own damn gluten-free food. <laughs> right. You know, like that, and I've gotten to that point with some people where it's like, okay, I know it's not like really a problem for you. You just want to create, because I saw you eating gluten yesterday. Right. So don't, right. so don't make me go out of my way to make you something gluten-free or vegan or whatever. Like my one friend, she loves to tell, tell a story about a guy who, you know, he was Jewish and he said, oh, well, you know, I can't have any pork products. So just make sure there's no pork. She's, she walked in the kitchen. Dude was like, was like shoving a ham down his throat. <laughs> she was like, really? <laughs> really? Okay. Well, you know, yeah, that's, that just makes it difficult now. <laughs> it's just gotten weird. Yeah. It's really gotten weird. And, and unfortunately to, there's not enough people asking the first question should, should be, is this organic? You know, right. I mean, that really should be the first question that we should be asking ourselves anytime we put something in our mouth. And, you know, and that's like step one. That's like half of a step. The, you know, the reality is, is it should be coming from local near us. You know, that's the real way to do it. So, uh, so we got a long way to go, but we're getting there. And I think um, we're starting to wake up because all this dogma that we've been perpetuating for the last, you know, 30, 40 years is starting to fall apart. And I think we're waking up because it didn't work and it's not working. And so we're, we're, we're forcing, we're being forced to, to look at the reality of the situation. Um, because we're getting sicker and it's not, it's not helping. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, but I think it's, it's really not that tricky. Just look at nature and look at historical context of things. And there's your answer. <laughs> it's really simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, same thing with growing plants because, uh, you just look at the signs of nature, you know, how does nature, you know, why, why is there a forest of all the same trees? You know, what are the things that nature's telling me, um, when this thing grows and that thing doesn't, or well, <laughs> well, and and what happens when we look at a plant, right, that we're growing in our in our yard or in our house and it looks sick? What do we think of? Okay, well, if you think think about the soil, something's wrong with the soil, um, and it's not getting enough sun, or there's uh, or the water, something with the water, right? So okay. food, water, soil, sun. You think you're any different than a plant? Yeah. Well, right? pl in many cultures, the plants are our ancestors. Of course. Um, so there's there's really no separation. You know, we're very kingdomist, aren't we? Right. <laughs> it's like the well, plant kingdom. And, and, and then when we look at our dogs, right? We take our dogs out to go to the bathroom and we look at their poop and, and it's all runny or whatever. And we're like, oh, something's your dog sick. Right. Well, why don't we look at our own poop and do the same thing? No, no. We treat our animals right. so much better than we do ourselves. Right. It's, it's comical. So, you know, we, we really just have to get back to, to reality here. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and look at how silly we've been, and it's okay, you know. Uh, let go of the judgment, and let go of the, the fear and the anxiety, and just uh, just look look at how silly we've been, and and just start to correct things and move back towards a a more harmonious way of living. And I think as we do that and slowly peel the onion back, 
we start to recognize um, the power of that and the beauty of that and the fun of that, um, as opposed to looking at everything from a, uh, the lens of convenience. Mm-hmm. And, right? So nature is not convenient, um, but it is efficient and it works. So we need to go back to that. And um, this idea of convenience only comes into play when you talk about the, uh, not even the quality of time, but the quantity of time, mm-hmm. right? So convenience measure is, is about quantity of time. So in other words, how much can I do in a certain quantity of time? Mm-hmm. Well, lots of societies throughout history actually looked at quality of time, right? The Greeks were probably the famous, most famous for this, um, looking at the, qual- the qualitative nature of time, the qualitative aspect of time. You notice how we say, we even say this in our words, right? Um, uh, the good, um, time flies when you're having fun, right? Yes. That, so that's a, that's a qualitatively different aspect of time. Or when you're in, let's say you're in the zone for something, you might feel like time stops because you're just so focused and in the zone. And it's like, whoa, you know, that was a qualitatively different situation that I was in. The time, the linear time was the same, but my perception and the quality of that time is, is, is changed. So, so it's not about convenience. It's not about how much more can I do in a certain amount of time. It's how can I enjoy and appreciate the time that I have um, such that we can recognize the beauty in each sort of moment, right, or in each day. And I think that's that's really what we need to get back to, and that's really what nature is good at. And that's 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 it's not what technology is good at. It's not what what convenience is good at. Um, nature has really perfected that. So that's where we can take a walk in the forest or go to the beach, right, um, and do these very simple things, and we can understand those those aspects. And that's that's what I found in Hawaii. You know, Hawaii is a very easy example of that. Um, you start to really see the beauty in the very simple things. Uh, yes. A walk on the beach, uh, a walk in the amazing forests of Hawaii. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 crazy the difference between that and sitting in a in a house on a computer doing email. Right. right. Absolutely. Same, Same time. It's just like the qualitative difference is massive. I do have to say, people hustle here in Hawaii, though. Like everybody <laughs> thinks that every you know, like you talked about Hawaii time earlier, and yeah, yeah there's some people who are a little bit uh, lax, let's just say, with um, you know their time management, but people work like two and three jobs here. I know one woman; she brags about it. She's she's totally you know, mainlander, but she's, she's like, yeah, I work five jobs just to put my kid through school. And I'm like, it's very true. It's definitely not every, but but if you look at like the surfer culture, right? Like that's a really good example of a certain culture that look, that really looks at things a little bit differently. Some some of my old Hawaiian friends too, they, they are like, they just go out fishing, you know, (laughs) such a, it's, you know, they, and they have their, it's very much like Costa Rica where like, for example, somebody might go fishing and then they just put up, they pop up a tent by the side of the road. They just hang out there all the afternoon, (laughs) sell their fish. There's nowhere to go. It's like, come on, you know? So yeah, uh, we have to, we have to adopt a little bit of that, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had to go to the mainland to New Jersey uh, for a funeral back in, in November. And I stepped off the plane. And I was, I just wanted to get right back on. I, I, I was like, you have got to be me. It was like, <laughs> it yeah. was like the, just dealing with the, the people on the mainland and everybody was grumpy. And, you know, they, they gave you like the crappiest directions to, just to get to the other side of the airport. And, you know, like somehow I was supposed to know that they shut down the shuttle bus on Sunday. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the whole thing was so such a slap in the face that I was like, really, I put up with this for like 40, how many years? Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So please tell us where and when we can see your film, the human longevity film. 
Yeah, the Human Longevity Project comes out May 7th, so um, it's a nine-part documented film series. Um, we will be releasing an episode per day for free, so mm-hmm. um, you know you can sign up on our website, and I think we'll probably just give you a link. That's probably the easiest thing for you to put it in the show notes or something uh, yeah. that people can click on and go right to it. Um, but yeah, you sign up, and, and you'll be able to watch the entire series for free. Um, the goal is to spread this information, so you know um, we'll be showing each episode for 24 hours, um, and we'll we'll, we'll go through the series and, and, uh, there's a lot of bonuses and a lot of cool things we have up our sleeve as well. So, um, so May 7th online, um, everywhere in the world. So, uh, there's, there's no reason not to, not to check it out and and see what's there. Cause I think there's, there's some cool things for everybody that, 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 can be powerful takeaways. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, we we barely scratched the surface here in two hours. Uh, but um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's just you can. I mean, nine nine parts. But I looked also at the list of people um, that you have, uh, you know, speaking in the in the film, and it's really. It's really impressive. And I love the fact that you actually went and just knocked on doors like, hey, you know, somebody, you know, that's where you get the best information. It's not these canned you know, responses from people who've been, you know, kind of up on what they, what you might want to hear, let's say. Exactly. You know, and and that's, I think that's been a big problem when we talk about issues of longevity and, you know, what contributes to that is everybody wants to impress you with how modern their people are, you know, in light of the food pyramid, for example. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and even new technologies, right. And, And new things that we're doing with stem cells and mitochondria and, gene editing and there's lots of cool stuff coming but at the end of the day i think if we forget the fact that we are part of a bigger organism called mother earth yeah. and that, that that our you know our decisions impact everything around us i don't care how good we are at stem cell therapy and, and gene editing and mitochondrial gene editing and all this amazing technological stuff for poisoning the planet we hate ourselves and we're not living in, in tune with nature like it's not going to work out for us i don't i don't care how good science gets yeah <laughs> no care. you're right you're absolutely it doesn't matter right so we have to come back to this and, and i think this is where the old wisdoms that that we get from these 95 year olds and 102 year olds can really come and, and shine a light on some of the the info that we may not have gotten in our culture in our generations um and and we can use to go to move forward because technology is not going away and it's technology is not a bad thing. We just have to understand how to use it and also that it's not a full replacement for how we should be living. So I think we have to kind of marry these things. And that's really the goal of the film is to is to take the, the ancient wisdoms and also take the modern understanding and look at the reality of the situation, which is technology is going to keep going forward and, and do so in a massive, you know, exponential kind of trajectory. And if we can just use it properly, um, then we, we have a really powerful tool to heal the planet, heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we continue to do things the wrong way, then we continue to poison and kill the planet and poison and kill ourselves. So which, which route do we want to go? It's up to us. Right, exactly. You know, it's <laughs> it's like it's Spider Man. You know, the, with uh, with great power comes responsibility, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so you know, and and we um, have this habit of always looking outside of ourselves, and we're always looking out there for the answer. It's somebody else to provide with the answer. Yeah. And I thank you so much for creating this film that looks back to the wisdom that brought us through millennia as yeah. as part of the human, you know, this this ecosystem of mother earth and you know really just underscoring the fact that the you know the problem was kind of solved by natural <laughs> selection you know and, and and the things that our ancestors did we don't i mean we can 
definitely incorporates some of the wisdom of sci- of modern science, but it doesn't mean that it overrides our basic um, human needs and and you know our our place within nature, just like everything else. Like we seem to think that nature is is very separate from us when in fact we are just one tiny component of right. all that nature has to offer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I thank you for having me. It's just, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to meet like-minded people and, and, uh, and share ideas. And, and I, I thank you for giving me the platform to, to spread the word about the film and, and just some of these topics that I'm sort of so passionate about sharing. Well, thank you. I mean, I, you're welcome, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, no, seriously, thank you for, for doing the film. Thank you for agreeing to talk with us and uh, thank you for not being loaded with BS. <laughs> you know, because because there was that potential when I first saw like uh, one of your colleagues had posted on Facebook and I was like, oh, yeah, I have a podcast. And I was like, wait a minute. What am I getting myself into? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy um, that uh, you really brought a balance to this concept uh, that I think on our island, unfortunately, the way it has been presented to us, people have lost sight of that. Um, and, and they, you know, they took it in a direction that is more ideological mm. than yeah. practical and historically relevant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm always aiming to be you know, transparent and honest. Uh, so I, I think that always wins out. I think people can, can sense the BS, um, you know, on some level. So hopefully this is, the, you know, these honest messages and then, uh, who knows if they're accurate, right? I mean, I think the goal is to always try to be as accurate as you can from your standpoint. And right. um, I think what resonates with people will, will, will tend to find its way to the top. So uh, that's always the goal. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I think we, we just present what we think um, is valid and useful. And I think people can always decide what, what to take home and what, it, what works for them. And I would always encourage people to, to decide for themselves that there's nobody out there with all the answers. And you are the only person that matters when it comes to decisions for you. So... I think that's what we have to get back to. Yeah, for sure. Well, again, folks, the URL is humanlongevityfilm.com. You can also find him on Facebook at The Human Longevity Project and on Instagram, Human Longevity Project. Thank you, Jason Prawl, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This concludes our interview with Jason Prawl of The Human Longevity Project. You can watch his film for free starting May 7th at nutritionheretic.com forward slash long life. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McQueen. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.